Hello and welcome to Lawrence Forking, Kansas, the podcast about the people and the stories behind the local food you love. I'm Jake. And I'm Kristen, and today we're interviewing Dante Colombo, Cami Mitchner, and Logan Olene of John Brown's Underground. Today we're talking with general manager Dante Colombo and assistant manager Cami Michener and head bartender Logan Olean of John Brown's Underground. Dante, Cami, and Logan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. So in case you haven't been there or um, you don't know, John Brown's Underground is a speakeasy cocktail bar located just underneath Wake the Dead at 7 East 7th Street. Um, it's a really cool place, uh, not even really marked from the outside. As soon as you go in, it just feels like you know blast from the past, very cool um, you know, speakeasy vibe. So we love it there. Definitely. Um, their craft cocktails are really, uh, without parallel in Lawrence, I think. And so their cocktails make for the perfect end or beginning of a night on the town. So, uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Dante, what, how, uh, are you from Lawrence originally? Yes, I am. Um, actually, so my, my parents are, are faculty at KU. So I grew up kind of, you know, around the university and, yeah. and definitely like as a fully Lawrence local, been going to, you know, KU games for, as long as I can remember. So I, I love Lawrence. I have a passion for it. Uh, yes, I, so I'm from here, um, intended to get out at some point and it just never happened. So <laughs> here I am doing something I love now. So nice. happens to a lot of people. Yeah. Course, I yeah. Think. yeah. Yeah. It's hard to leave here when you're like, Oh, I kind of got everything I kind of need. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. How about you, Cammie? Are you, are you from here as well? I'm not, uh, I'm from Bonner Springs. So oh. just about 30 minutes outside of Lawrence. Um, I, I came to Lawrence in about like 2012. Mm. for school and kind of the same story with Don fell in love with John Brown couldn't really leave it mm. yeah. Oh, yeah. and Logan how about you um, I'm actually from a super small town south of Manhattan Kansas oh, okay. uh, population about 300 so oh, wow. I know small yeah. town <laughs> uh, I came to Lawrence uh, after high school graduation and I've been here for well I guess uh, over 12 years now it's been a while but yeah so did you have most of you find your way here did you did you did you work in the food service? Have you, how long have you been working in that food service industry? Or is John Brown's Underground like kind of your first first go at it? It was my first go at it um, mm-hmm. personally. Yeah, I, um, I I did not come from you know anywhere else. I wasn't you know recruited mm-hmm. from from any other restaurant or bar in town. Um, I I started my my working career actually um, working for this this gym in downtown Lawrence called the Summit. Mm-hmm. And um, it was it was owned by one of my good friends, Scott Elliott. And um, while he was while we were working there together, he kind of had this idea um, to start a craft cocktail bar. He went to a bar in Austin, Texas, and uh, and was really you know inspired by it, and, and did realize that there was nothing else kind of in Lawrence that was similar. So so he kind of developed this idea for for what is now John Brown's Underground. While he was while we were working there together mm-hmm. at the gym at the time, I was not 21, so I couldn't I couldn't work there yet, but. Um, <laughs> But I helped him kind of, you know, with the with the initial setup of stuff and kind of helped build out, you know, parts of the bar, um, not the bar itself, but uh, but parts of the building. Um, and then kind of it was just a natural progression after that. Once I turned 21, um, thankfully, they needed they needed somebody to come in and and work a few weekend shifts. And I really fell in love with it. I knew I would, but but I really fell in love with it. And uh, and here we are. I uh, I started working in, in restaurants when I was about 16 or 17 and then started bartending almost immediately after I turned 21. Kind of started in grungier dive bars, uh, but I loved making drinks and making drinks people were excited about. Uh, I got to work at Henry's on 8th, what I love. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, I was at Manifesto in Kansas City for a while. Uh, John Brown was really just the place that felt like home. Yeah. 
John Brown was first for me as well. Um, made drinks for fun at home for parties, and then just uh, just due to having a cursory relationship with one of the time managers, uh, got a phone call when I was putting my coat on to go out for uh, New Year's Eve mm-hmm. to go to work, and I was like, "Well, I want this job," so <laughs> that's what I. So that's what I've been doing ever since. And so Dante you talked a little bit. How, how did John Brown's Underground? You know, what was the 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 process behind starting that i guess you said it had to do a lot of renovation there i know it's kind of in a very unique spot there it's yeah like, um it, so so the spot that had that it's now john runs underground previously was a game store um so it was just oh. this for my understanding it, it was called game guy um right because there's game nut and game guy here mm-hmm. downtown so so that was the kind of more independent you know local operation it was just kind of this guy who was uh who was really into to this thing um, and and I, I don't know how long they had that space, but my understanding is that it was quite a while. And so um, they the way that they were using the space is um, they didn't change, you know, uh, the layout too much. Like like there was that main store area, which is now our main bar area. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that the, where the bar is was their checkout counter. And so there was quite a bit of renovation to kind of develop that back room space. Um, there was like, uh, how I understand it, like uh, a crew of guys coming in with the wet concrete saw drill something like that <laughs> took them like eight days to get through that um that back room uh to make that kind of open up which makes sense if you think about it because the the building like originally was a bank and so that that back room was a vault oh, okay. <laughs> so if you think about you know how long it would take to drill you know if, like if you're robbing a bank how long it would take you to drill through <laughs> the the vault wall be about eight days, eight days. Oh, wow. okay. yeah it took it took a crew of guys that long to to do that so and you can still see the remnants of this the saw blades if you if you look really close in the light oh. Um, but yeah, they, they kind of had to outfit that space, you know, really, really carefully. And then especially with originally we had the kitchen downstairs. Um, so, uh, as you guys know, I'm sure are aware of the food laws and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, there was, there was a kitchen in place downstairs at the time. Upstairs was still when, when John Rhodes opened was still, uh, someone's apartment. Mm -hmm. So, um, they were running the whole bar and, you know, small plate restaurant out of, out of that bottom space. And Mm -hmm. so it was a tiny, tiny kitchen, probably, you know. The size of two of these tables and wow. that's 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 our prep room now but but they had a full kitchen going down there oh, which is geez. crazy yeah that's wild so so it's the space has kind of evolved you know throughout throughout the five years we've been open but it's really we feel like right now is, is kind of the best that it's ever been and um, talk a little bit about the inspiration behind the name why john brown's underground and not someone else's underground yeah so uh john brown is kind of you know a, a pretty influential historical figure mm-hmm. here in lawrence it's kind of you know uh uh are, are not claim to fame, but it's it's one of the people that you know is maybe recognized nationally yeah. Yeah. in terms of like the Civil War and the abolitionist movement. Um, and what's funny about that is John Brown spent relatively pretty little time in Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but uh, but what he when he was here it was it was explosive to say the least. <laughs> um, and and he uh, he was uh, you know known for defending Lawrence against uh, Samuel Jones, who was the uh, the Douglas County Sheriff at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was that. You know, bleeding Kansas fight going on, and so a lot of people will draw a parallel from John Brown to, you know, uh, the bleeding Kansas movement, which is was a catalyst for the Civil War, um, the fight between you know Kansas and being a free state and being a slave state, and as we all know, Missouri ended up on the bad side. So mm-hmm. um, uh, that's uh, that's still it's still a significant part of our history. So um, with that said, um, you know, it, it, it kind of John Brown tied into the idea of you know this is an underground space, like you said, minimal signage kind of like a secret, you know, made for, made for people, you know, who, who want something different, want to experience something fun. And, 
and that's that's unique to you know what they want their night to be yeah um and so so john brown kind of evoked that spirit you know like he operated in secret you know was very passionate about you know the causes that he fought for and so um we wanted to uh uh kind of you know had that sense of secrecy and had that sense of you know uh, this is a cool place this is a place like you know despite whatever else may be going on this is a cool place where you can be just like you know he created those you know kind of cool places yeah. that that were yeah yeah yeah, it's kind of cool, you know, when we walk in, it, you know, it's like, like she said, like, you know, it's very unassuming on the mm. outside, and then you walk in, you're like, whoa, like, yeah. Yeah. It's, very, it's a very cool feeling to kind of walk in there, and kind of, it's like, I oh, feel like you just discovered a secret. And yeah. Like, yeah, and, and so. it's it's a strange, like, combining of a few eras, when we look at that mural, you know, mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. what's now become our kind of calling card, um, that mural uh, painted by Brian Timmer, who's a local artist, uh, he's actually not, he moved to Montana, he's a fantastic artist, yeah. so, um, but if you look at that painting, you know, you, you see, like, the background is, is just this huge crowd um, on, on what is, what is intended to be Mass Street, yeah. and so it kind of evokes, you know, uh, it, it's, the idea is that it's a, on the repeal of Prohibition, mm-hmm. but also kind of, you know, the, that storming of Mass Street after a, a big KU win kind of has that feeling of, like, everybody being together, yeah. Yeah. the camaraderie, just like, you know, everybody having fun in the moment, so. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, have you found so the you know the atmosphere that you generate there? Do you have a certain? Do you have like a lot of regulars that come? You know, just because I I, I feel like that atmosphere does does kind of invite you know a lot of you know it's close it's you know yeah. it's all that I'm sure there's quite a bit of regular kind of yeah patronage yeah absolutely I would say that um especially I mean in my feeling is that since kind of you know this team has come come aboard yeah. we've like really been able to put an emphasis on you know service and um and just you know kind of establishing that kind of regular base. Um, which is not something that, you know, was immediately apparent to me as someone who hadn't worked in the industry previously, mm-hmm. you know, like the importance of having, you know, a group of people that, that, you know, wants to come back and see you again and again and, and developing those friendships, um, you know, coming from, a, you know, a business background, you know, being in, I, I went to business school at KU and, you know, you're kind of taught like, it's, it's just about, you know, just about customers yeah. all the time, mm-hmm. just about getting customers, you know, there's, there's not quite the emphasis on, you know, the kind of returning patronage, but it's something that I'm really proud of that, that these guys have taught me a lot about. Um, cause it would not have been my first, um, priority, mm-hmm. uh, no, not knowing anything about the food service or, or bar service industry. So Cammy has the most experience in terms of the industry outside of John Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe she has more to add on that, but I mean, there's a lot of numbers exchanged between people that come in and sit in front of us at the bar gifts being exchanged. So it's, it's, a uh, it's interesting. It's uh, humbling. It's it's yeah. it's very nice. But yeah, yeah, because you guys have a nice space too uh, in the back that back room area. That's kind of nice too. It seems like that's kind of cool little niche area there to like be able to. You, if you have a bigger group of people, you can kind of come in there. And I think I saw you can reserve some of the space too. Correct? You can, yeah. So um, we 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 str- we struggle with that a bit. Actually, that's that's yeah. another interesting tidbit about you know kind of the evolution of John Brown and when we first opened. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was not working there at the time and I don't think these guys ever worked there when there was a door person. Um, but that was how it was structured when you, when John Brown first opened, there was a door person, you know, you, you, you were hosted, you know, relatively. And, and if it was full, you couldn't come in. And that was kind of a thing that, that the first, you know, the opening team struggled with was like people in Lawrence aren't quite accustomed to being told they can't come in to a place. (laughs) Um, and, and it, it didn't work out very well. People, people weren't super happy about it. Cause you know, you go to New York, you go to LA, um, San Francisco, you, there are all these bars where, yeah. you know, it's a craft cocktail bar and there's mm-hmm. these, you know, these, there's fancy drinks, but, but you still, you can't come in. You have to wait outside. And that's a weird thing for something that's not a club, I think yeah. for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and so, so they did away with that, you know, before any of us started, but, 
but the reservations um, are available, but we they're limited to to really large parties. Yeah, so so we have one room that is that seats up to fifteen comfortably, and so that is that is the room that can be reserved. Um, nice. And yeah, so it, it depends entirely on the night, but but uh, we don't we don't t- typically take reservations for smaller parties. Mm-hmm. We um, yeah we. We don't have a door person anymore, but typically what we do when we are at capacity is just lock the door, put up a sign, and turn off the green light. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the green light is on, it means, like, please come in, we're open, and when it's off, it just means either we're closed or we're at capacity, which I really like. There's mm-hmm. that line in uh, Great Gatsby, the promise of the green light, and it kind of all aligns with that prohibition feel. Yeah, oh, yeah. Nice. It's a cool time. I like that. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your. You, so you got a new menu. You got a new menu that you got uh, got out there. It's uh, very spring spring influenced, yes. and I know we actually yeah, we went there the last week and kind of tried a couple of the cocktails, and we uh, we really like you guys. Time. First of all, the menu is beautiful. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. People need to check out. It's on your Instagram. We noticed, and yes, it is it is great. But yeah, what what kind of goes into you know. I can only imagine something like that takes quite a bit of time to research. And it does. It does. Every time we, we do a new menu, it feels like, you know, this will be the time where we have it down and it'll be pretty sweet, like seamless and easy. And every time, like, it's just, it never is. Yeah. Um, so it's it's definitely a big process for a team this small to, to create a new menu and to kind of, you know, go through that motion. But um, this menu, I think I, I'm really proud of and I, I, I hope everybody is. But um, it's, uh, it's really, really, uh, it, it feels like the culmination of a lot of work. Um, the menu, the menu covers themselves were um, designed and, and created by my girlfriend, actually, mm. uh, who who lives in Chicago and, and has a, a degree in, in product design. So she uh, she hand cut the leather covers for the menu and mm. and and designed those herself. And then um, the inside is uh, the drawings are done by her and Cami. So Cami's uh, you know wow. a pretty wow. a pretty accomplished artist uh, and. <laughs> she, oh, she, oh my goodness, she draws beautiful. the pictures better than all of us I, I, I know that much and so so yeah the uh this menu is um you know we 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 like doing seasonal stuff and seasonal uh menus are are important to you know guests and, and people want to drink things that are they're they're in the mood for um but uh but we 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 don't typically do like hyper seasonal stuff you know we we don't always set out to create you know like here's here's a spring drink and here's like flavors we always want to do and here's a summer menu and here's a fall one. Right. Um, uh, you know we 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 do move with the seasons, but it's it's not always like super super hyper focused. We want you know the drinks to be good for any time. Right. Um, but but this one we had a lot of fun with you know kind of the construction of uh, the 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 table of contents where it's you know John Brown is depicted John Brown's hand pulling up a root out of the ground. Yeah. Um, that Cami drew on the on the table of contents there. So yeah. Uh, this this menu was um, you know we, we we every time we try to go with a different kind of theme or a different kind of you know source of inspiration. So our last menu was was the timeline, right? So we had you know the, the prohibition drinks or takes on pro, our prohibition drinks and takes on the next kind of big cocktail here, which was tiki, and then you know post World War II and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. And so this one we wanted to do something that was different, um, but still you know allowed and and challenged people to think about their cocktails in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went with kind of this construction, which is, you know, the parts of a plant. So, you know, your seeds, your roots, your leaves, your flowers, fruits, that then kind of the rest of the drink builds upon. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's, we've never done one like that before. This is kind of the first time. And yeah. it's the first time that we've like not done, like, uh, um, like, like had the drinks sort of start from, you know, uh, their, their classic construction or their, their, their typical glassware, mm-hmm. go like, um, the last menu had, you know, parentheses underward was like old uh, old fashioned or uh, uh, yeah, gotcha yeah. okay so yeah. so yeah yeah 
and and that can be difficult because <clears throat> if if someone doesn't know what they're getting into, you you might have some pushback on that, and that's something that we uh, I don't want to say fight or battle, but it's uh, it's a challenge to yeah. us um, because you know a lot of people go into a bar. Obviously, if they're exchanging money, they want to enjoy what they're getting. Mm -hmm. So, and a lot of times you're you're asking a customer to um, basically put uh, themselves in your hands. So, um, but I think it's a challenge worth worth fighting in a craft cocktail bar. So uh, we like it; it's fun. Yeah. When would you say you started this? I mean, how long does it take to come up with all this? I mean, that's a the the, me the menu development is never like it's never like this cool linear process that yeah. you expect it to be right so there's always like sort of this uh um kind of you know slow ramping up it feels more like a crazy curve right, where right. you like where you start really slowly and you build your ideas and then kind of there's this point where you like okay we like we gotta go yeah. and kind of you know put everything together and, and everything always feels last minute no matter how, how much prep you've done but um i would you say the whole process took like probably a month and a half under two months yeah there's always a night before menu release where they are not printed and we're sitting in the bar until typically about 4 a.m. arguing about the names of the drinks. <laughs> um, the last three menus we've done, we've added one more drink that we've made the recipe for maybe six hours before we print and yeah. it typically always ends up being one of our favorites. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which one is it this time around? Uh, the last one that we added this time was Captain Marvell. We yeah. always name a drink after Anna, uh, who lives in Chicago and helped with the menu art who we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. One of my dear friends. Uh, Marvell is her middle name, so that was that was the last addition this time. Well, now we always do. Yeah. Now it has to be. Yeah. Now it has to be. Just ask Anna. Right? Yeah. She did. She did way too much work to not to not get some sort of shout out. Yeah. True. How, so do you do you end up? Is it is a lot of? I mean, I'm trying to learn. You know, learning learning the different liquors and all and all that. Is that is that a is it book reading? Is it going out and experiencing? I mean, certainly distributors too probably get you different tastes of different things too. Or yeah, um, uh, I I would say that kind of that learning process is is different. You know, every menu certainly, but but for us, it's kind of just constantly trying to, you know, like seeing what other bars are doing. I think is the biggest the biggest thing that we look for. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we read a lot. There's lots of great cocktail books out there. Uh, lots of bad cocktail books too, um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we, we like to read a lot and and go just go see what other people are doing and, and try stuff, mm -hmm. and that often is can be the biggest inspiration, even if it's not you know not an entire drink. It might it could just be you know a garnish or a very small thing that someone does in presentation that that provides that inspiration. Also, if you are ever at the bar, we do have a bookshelf with a lot of the literature that we mm -hmm. uh, look up on. So, and that's not just for show, like. Definitely read. welcome yeah, to go and, and check that out. Yeah, cool. You can tell by how disorganized the books often are. <laughs> it's, like... it's not the hardest research either. To yeah. <laughs> it's just <laughs> cool bars that yeah. your friends work at and see the wonderful things they're doing. Take pretty uh, pictures. And... Yeah, yeah. It's... Do you guys find that you get a lot of customers from like social media in addition to word of mouth and your regular client base, like we were talking about before? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I I would say that it's becoming more and more. You know, with with just like you know, kind of us you know working harder on the, the social media ourselves every 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 time it, it feels like you know people are, are coming in more and more for something they saw online or something they heard about you know from one of their friends um you know we have people visiting which is really cool mm -hmm. visiting from kansas city to come see us which that that feels really cool yeah, you know just awesome. not like you know someone which i mean it's not not that it's a bad thing but you know not just people you know 
oh, here's a, here's a place I can have a drink. Right. You know, there's people coming to see yeah, our menu, which, destination. Yeah, yeah. which is in- incredibly humbling and, and I think really, really cool. Great example, I think, is, is campground in Kansas City. I mean, I never would have heard of that bar or vi- I probably would have heard of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but their Instagram was just so beautiful. I and everything that they posted I, I wanted to try and that's why we ended up there and I'm, I'm a big fan of what they do and I think mm-hmm. that's definitely sort of um, an inspiration for us big time yeah. yeah yeah that's a great example um, you know you there's this industry is full of people who are really creative and really like aesthetically inclined so mm-hmm. it's uh it's always really really fun to see a place that has you know a beautiful whether it's a beautiful Instagram or a beautiful bar um, mm-hmm. in ca- that in the campgrounds case they have both um, but uh, but yeah, that's that was definitely a, a really cool inspirational source. So. Now, have you so Cami and Logan, you know, since you've worked, you had some prior experience in different bars. How do you bring that to uh, John Brown's Underground? You know, is that is that is that a big piece of it? Is like you know, every every place you've been, do you kind of pick up something there and bring it along? Is there anything? Yeah, I mean, um, specifically, oh, that's a difficult one. But yeah. you're. Um, if you see anything good at a, at a, that someone else is doing, you always have to tuck that in and 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 bring it out when you can. Um, I mean, I was since I could, I was going to you know uh, bourgeois pig. That was kind of my mm-hmm. first introduction to more classic cocktails. So mm-hmm. that's probably why I love an agroni right now. You know. Um, I think I did learn a lot from working in dive bars. Um, I. I did enjoy a lot of my experiences there just with guests, but there were more troublesome events that I encountered in spaces like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, it hardened me a little bit to, you know, the, the rare, tougher things that can happen in a bar, any bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love John Brown because I'm so lucky that at any time I have probably 10 people that will always have my back 100%, but mm-hmm. there's always, you know, Every so often, something that's a little stressful, and I think working in grungier places kind of helped me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> prepare for that. Yeah, with, with not having a door person, you know, comes with that kind of, you know, like th- there's no like point of control outside of the bar. So, yeah, um, yeah like, like Cammy's really great at, at at that at those weird parts of, of bar service <laughs> and restaurant service that like I just I have no idea what to do yeah. oftentimes. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, when, when you, when you open your space up and, and, you know, don't have that kind of control in the front, you, you, you gotta be, you gotta be ready for anything. And, and I'm, I'm learning to be better about that, but also wanted to ask on your menu, um, something else that you offer in addition to your great, you know, craft cocktails that you've worked on is something called bartender's choice, where you have sort of like a Venn diagram in the back of the menu, um, with a bunch of adjectives in it and people can pick two or three of those adjectives and then shaken or stirred and then just present that to their bartender and then they come back with an amazing drink tailored to exactly what you're hoping for. So first of all, how do you even approach that? Like that to me sounds like so scary to try to come up with something like that. And you guys are doing it on the spot, like night after night. So how do you think about that and approach that? Yeah. Um, when we first had the idea to do that just because, you know, um, people, you know, for some reason, trust us. Right. Um, and so people, we found that people were kind of constantly saying, you know, well, I've, I've tried a lot of the drinks on the menu already. Um, make me something, you know, make me something fun, make me something that kind of, uh, is, is, you know, they give parameters sometimes, but oftentimes not. And so then, you know, uh, the, the Venn diagram and the, and the questions that kind of follow 
are are just kind of mirroring the things that we ask typically when when someone says make me something which are you know what are you in the mood for what kind of flavors do you enjoy are you do you want something lighter and refreshing which typically means a shake and drink or do you want something kind of richer or boozier kind of to sip on um which you know oftentimes corresponds to a stirred cocktail mm-hmm. so um the the bartender's choice was something that we decided to put in the menu i think probably about a year ago i think it was, it was the first time we did it and um and so the the words that were kind of you know uh uh, I've seen on menus to, you know, kind of describe drinks, you know, oftentimes people have those kinds of words that are descriptive of flavors or, or of, you know, a mood underneath the drinks to kind of help people guide, you know, help guide people, you know, mm-hmm. um, to, to choosing a drink. And so this just kind of, you know, uh, allows us, I mean, like it, it allows us to become better bartenders really at, at the core of it. I think it's, it was really, really, you know, a learning experience for all of us, you know, especially initially, but even still like we get, you know, um, people who, who who want one thing or another and and have no real way of articulating that except mm-hmm. you know through this Venn diagram so cool. um it's kind of you know a learning experience you know for us all the time in addition to the guests yeah so it's um yeah it's it it, it can be challenging you know when there's because um, oftentimes you find that like this this past weekend we had uh you know tables who you know one person would get a bartender's choice and then everybody else would kind of follow they'd be like wow that's really cool that you can have a custom drink and so then you end up with this like five exactly like five five unique uh bartender's choice drinks on on one ticket which you know requires some teamwork and some and some thought yeah for sure um but uh but yeah it's um i think it i think logan you know probably a month after we first implemented that it was like this is the best thing we've ever done like this this allows you know this has challenged me like in ways that i, I never thought i would yeah. be i will also say the opposite at times yeah, <laughs> yeah i'm sure why, why did we do this right <laughs> i think last weekend i watched you pick up a ticket with eight bartenders choices oh. and say my man <laughs> <laughs> but but really to highlight what dante said yeah it, it one thing it ultimately does is make you a better bartender yeah. um because it makes you think on the spot creatively and also it highlights sometimes when you might be as a bartender um kind of stuck in a rut mm-hmm. and you and, and you don't want to do the same thing over and over again mm-hmm. and it's really kind of you know uh massaging that creative part of your brain and it really makes you use it uh but uh yeah there's some challenging stuff on there but yeah. it can be very rewarding when you hit a home run yeah but there's a there's a few misses yeah. every now and then well, it's kind of nice. it's a, you're, you can start preparing for the next the menu right you can say oh that one worked well yeah. <laughs> yeah you can sometimes get just these kind of like tangents and you're like oh i, I need to revisit that so yeah. and i yeah. there have been a number of times where i've made a bartender's choice and then i will later go and write it down yeah, yeah. be like oh this is maybe there's something here you yeah know? yeah, yeah. There's this weird layer of that too, where like you know, even even when you you receive you know you get the ticket for a bartender's choice, and and there are words that you know the, someone picks the words off the Venn diagram, like you still kind of have to know who's ordering it, mm-hmm. and you you if you haven't been talking to them, you know it's it's it can be tough to get a sense of what kind of you know version of those flavors that someone wants, yeah. so that like you still have to be like really really you know cognizant of. Of the people in the bar and, and the people at a table um so that's i think it, it it adds to my like you know person to person knowledge about about drink making as well which is, is a, a layer that i didn't expect when we first started this yeah cause... yeah that's really cool having to be sort of perceptive and mm-hmm. like you know receiving what people are putting out and then making a drink really just for them which is exactly cool. yeah. yeah i mean like, yeah psychology and mixology <laughs> yeah. there are some of my favorite bartenders choices that i typically only get from quasi regulars uh that aren't flavor descriptors at all they're just kind of feelings um i have a group of girls 
one of my favorites, this, this girl asked me to make her a drink that tasted like she was falling in love in Joshua Tree National Park. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. And they'll just hit me with the silliest stuff all the yeah. time. But I, I really like that. I think it kind of captures the heart of what we're trying to do with that kind of. Yeah. Yeah, we, we've had some tough ones for sure. Um, uh, I think we've all like, you know, had those the, those kind of nightmare moments where like, you know, you're you're you have a ticket that has, you know, eight separate ones and you kind of have to figure out, you know, something different for everybody. And, and you know, in that case, you definitely haven't seen the people because, mm-hmm. you know, eight people probably aren't sitting in front of you at the bar. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think we've all had had sort of some tough orders that have challenged us. And oftentimes those are the ones that turn out the best. Mm-hmm. It's the ones that you, you think you nail it and then. And then, you know, it, it's not always a home run. I think, I guess maybe that's just me, but <laughs> I've, I've also had ones where the uh, customer has said, this is exactly what I asked for. I don't like it, but this is exactly <laughs> what I asked for. That's so funny. you can take a kind of win loss on that one. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. Well, that's fair. Logan, <laughs> Logan takes like a, a typically like, you know, um, more hard nosed approach, which, which like works really well for him almost all the time. Like, like, no, like you, you like, this is what you wanted. Like, this is what you're getting. And I'm, I'm more like, I'm like, I don't know, man, they probably want this, but like, I'm, I'm like sort of, you know, sort of stuttering over my, <laughs> my myself when I'm, when I think about it. But he also takes very great care. It's the only thing. The only rule is that you're honest. If you don't like it, tell me. Yeah. <laughs> That's always yeah. look. <laughs> what is your favorite, uh, what's your favorite drink that you, that you think you serve? I always like to ask this and make you pick one. Like if you, if you only have one drink <laughs> so for the mean. next, for the next year, what, what would you drink? I'm glad you said year. Cause that, that, yeah, at least give me yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll give you a year. Yeah. My initial answer to this is, is something, you know, always pretty general, which is my, my favorite drink is the one that, that, kind of challenges people, you know, whether it's like challenges some sense or some preconception you have about, about cocktails or about liquor. Um, uh, if, if you were to make me pick one, one type of drink, uh, just generally would probably be a daiquiri, Hmm. um, or, or a Mai Tai, is it something, something rum, something rum related. Um, and, and that's, that kind of is something that has happened over the past two years is we've really gotten into rum and, specifically like really really you know good rums and really honestly and transparently made rums mm-hmm. there's a lot of a lot of crap out there uh in the, in the rum world and so i think I, I anything that you know kind of uh is allows people to have a rum cocktail that that is is more complex and more challenging than mm-hmm. you know the rums we've all kind of grown up drinking captain morgan bacardi those things that are kind of you know ubiquitously available mm-hmm. Um, and marketed really well. Uh, anything that kind of allows people to say, "Wow, that that's that that's made with rum. That's really what rum tastes like." And you're like, "Yeah," and then that's that's a great conversation piece. But yeah, if you if you were to put a gun on my head, I would say a daiquiri made with um, probably uh, an agricole rum or a, a funky Jamaican rum. Yeah. Nice. Well, now I'm probably going to steal what Cammy's going to say. I don't know. Um, I was going to say an agricole daiquiri. Dang. Uh, Probably a, a last word or a spin thereof. Um, and Cami actually put one in our um, uh, staff classics page on this menu. Uh, but for those uh, who don't know, what is the last word? Well, typically uh, equal parts gin, uh, maraschino, luxardo liqueur, lime, and uh, green chartreuse. Yeah. Uh, but if you want it to be interesting, sub out the, that gin and put in a mezcal or a peated scotch. Yeah. Um, and it, even then, within that, you can do some other cool stuff with it. Uh, but yeah, and that's another one that is really fun to uh, serve to guests because 
a lot of times people haven't had that particular smoky flavor combination if you do use a mezcal or a peated scotch um and it's just a lot of time more than i can count on one hand people have been wowed by that and that's that's really fun to serve and drink yeah thief by the way (laughs) (laughs) i i do think serving neat spirits count as serving a drink so uh i i would say any spirit that has a beautiful or misunderstood history Mm. um we love chartreuse and the background of that spirit is one of the coolest things I've ever heard of. I love talking to guests about, you know, the history of absinthe and the misconceptions they may have about it. No, you're not going to hallucinate. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I don't care that your cousin in Europe had <laughs> absinthe and saw a unicorn because they didn't. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I think it's really, really fun to talk about the history of, of the bottles that we're using. And yeah. I love talking about it with guests who are interested. It's one of my favorite parts of the job. Yeah, we can. I mean, I think any of us can be in a really terrible mood or, or you know, just whatever might be going on. And, and when when a guest uh, uh, wants to talk about spirits and wants to talk about kind of history and, and why something tastes the way it does and why that matters, um, I think that that all of us just like, love that. Yeah, just um, light up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like like when like, you know, Cammy will often say like, hey, like, call me over and, and say, hey, this 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 person is wondering about this rum or this this whiskey or this mezcal like that, like that is probably my favorite part of the job just in general. And so, um, yeah, like, like going back to what I was saying, anything that, uh, uh, that is either, either a cocktail or I can serve a spirit that I can, you know, talk about and, Mm -hmm. and give people the history of, um, or, or challenge their, their preconceptions. That's, that's just really, really cool. Yeah. <laughs> so that's awesome. I think we would be remiss if we didn't send a little love to Foursquare at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Beautiful people. So yeah, they, um, uh, the, one of the the first you know things when we talk about rum, um, just me, I, we I, we talk about it so much because it is the spirit that we carry the most of, <laughs> um, the spirit that we kind of you know know the most about and have done kind of the most you know outreach about and, and kind of been uh, thankfully like brought into the rum community, uh, the, the larger world rum community. Um, Foursquare is, is kind of the distiller that started that for us. Um, it was about two, almost two full years ago now that we had uh, a distributor, Ryan Rama from, um, Altamar brands, Mm. uh, which is based out of Kansas city. Um, uh, he brought us, brought us the first, the first bottles of Foursquare that we ever tried. So Foursquare is a distillery in Barbados. There are uh, several other distilleries in Barbados. Uh, Mount Gay is the most, you know, kind oh, okay. of the, the biggest, you know, most famous one. Um, but Foursquare has been producing rum um, since since the mid '90s. Um, kind of they started back up, um, and uh, uh, the Seal family are, are you know, multi generation distillers. I, I'm, I'm not going to say exactly how many generations because I, I forget at the moment. But um, uh, they uh, they were kind of the ones that really started, you know, that. Um, uh, uh, kind of you know the feeling for us of, of wow you know this this thing doesn't taste like any of the, the rums i've ever tried before or it doesn't taste like any of the the spirits that i'm accustomed to tasting and so um you know from there we were like we you know what else is out there so then from there we were able to explore you know some really the funky jamaican rums um some cast strength offerings from saint lucia um from martinique um where you know we learned all about the world of rum agricole um but yeah four squares was run by richard seal um who is like just sort of the perfect example of, of I think what a, a distiller and a person who makes spirit should be like, he's constantly engaging with, with people, um, online and, and in person about, you know, why he makes the rums the way he does, what, 
what he's using, exactly how long he's making them uh, or aging them or, or, or the process that, that he's um, that he's using to, to make the rums. Um, and just like very, very open. And that's kind of, you know, been like, you know, when you, when you start in, uh, in this industry, there's always sort of a cloud of secrecy about how things are made. Um, and then there's lots of preconceptions and largely people don't care. Like, you know, if like, like Captain Morgan, for example, I, I'm not, not disparaging them necessarily, but just as an example, like they don't really care how people view their spirit. Like it is what it is. But, um, but Foursquare was kind of the first time that I, that I realized, and I think we all realized like, wow, like there are producers out here who, who care as much as we do about yeah. the products that we're making and who are in it for, for the love of the thing, mm-hmm. um, more, more so than anything else. So yeah, Richard and, and, and Gail, the, uh, the main ambassador who happens to be his wife, uh, are, are just, just absolutely incredible people. And I think really, really inspirational for us. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Do you know, can you get that in like local liquor stores? You can. Yeah. yeah. So, so there are a few ways to get, like to get four square rums, uh, four square, uh, makes their own, you know, for like released by the distillery, um, mm-hmm. bottling is called the exceptional cask series. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of more the collector's items. There was a, um, an article written on liquor.com fairly recently um, by Fred Minnick, who's a, a very famous spirits writer, um, where he called Foursquare the Pappy of Rum. So mm-hmm. for anybody who knows what Pappy Van Winkle is, it's kind of, you know, the really, really hard to get mm-hmm. beautiful bourbon that the Buffalo Trace produces in Kentucky. And so um, uh, you can get those those bottlings here. There's typically new ones that come out every year. I think currently we're coming toward the end of their uh, 2005 series. Um, but they're also uh, Foursquare also bottles under several different brands. So Real McCoy is uh, is kind of oh. is the one that um, that is kind of you know the most available here right now. Mm-hmm. The Real McCoy is um, is a partner brand with Foursquare. So there's there's an owner of the Real McCoy brand, but mm-hmm. Foursquare is also an owner of the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they um, those are kind of more cocktail priced rums. So they're a little bit um, you know they're intended to be constantly available. There's a three year, a five year, and a twelve year. Mm-hmm. Um, there are also some limited other bottlings that, that they've done. For example, this past weekend, we featured a 14-year rum that they just released, mm. um, uh, which is the oldest rum that Fourscore has ever um, released from them, from the distiller themselves that wasn't done by an independent bottler, mm. um, as, aside from one bottle of a 15-year that just uh, sold at auction. It was a one-of-one one release, and it sold at auction for $8,000. Wow. So so that was pretty cool to have that Real McCoy 14 in. But yeah, so there's um, the Real McCoy is, is a... Um, kind of you know more accessibly priced more more constantly available brand mm-hmm. that you'll, you'll see around here quite a bit and we put we put that uh 14 year as our break even uh bottle which i don't know if you want to talk about that dante no go no, go ahead uh well you know some of the finer details but uh every weekend at the bar um almost every weekend we will uh, advertise on social media a um what we would call a, a top shelf spirit at just a little bit above cost mm-hmm. prices mm-hmm. so um, and we post those on Facebook and Instagram, and it's it actually is a really great way to get into very high quality spirits that you wouldn't normally yeah. buy because you a lot of them are very yeah. unaffordable. Well, that's um, what I was just thinking when you were talking about that. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of a cool position you guys are in too. I mean, obviously, yeah. you know, a lot of people don't. You know, I'm not personally going to go buy a whole bottle sometimes because mm-hmm. I'm scared maybe I don't like it or exactly. something. Whereas yeah. at least for you guys, you know, you can you can play with that too. You can get one and. If it goes well, great. I mean, you'll probably definitely have someone that will drink it. But yeah, um, I, I think the the coolest, you know, I, I, the coolest parts of the break even bottle program is that you know not only do do people get to try, yeah. you know, stuff that they would be normally you know kind of pr- out of the price range, um, just with the normal you know restaurant bar markup that that bars need to do to to pay rent and whatnot, 
Um, but it also allows us to, you know, try something and, and bring something in, even if it's just one bottle of a thing. Cause it, you know, typically when you, when you put a spirit on the menu, you know, it's a big choice, you know, you got to like commit to it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so this allows us to, you know, run one bottle as a special, whereas, you know, that's not typically a thing you hear of, you know, people run cocktail specials, um, and people run, you know, wine specials, you know, things that will go quickly mm-hmm. and it doesn't really matter if you, you know, if you sell all of it or, or, you know, how much you sell of it. But if you if you just buy the one bottle and you you run it as a special thing that you have, you don't have to make that choice of you know well like we want to get this bottle but it's so allocated it could be gone in two weeks we don't know like mm-hmm. that's just it, it it just allows us a lot more creative freedom I think. So we're always curious where you know when you're not making uh, fancy drinks where do you guys uh, where do you guys like to eat in town? We're big fans of our friends at Lark Affair. Yeah. Um, really really love really really love their entire staff and all of their food and all of their cocktails they do a really fantastic job um i'm a big fan of r&d as well mm-hmm. um their food and cocktails uh and then fish house obviously um yeah. we really really love their program um dear friends and i think we're all really really proud of all the people downtown just yeah killing it i think yeah. we, would, we would be remiss without mentioning decade too um oh, yeah. like oh, yeah. god they just do everything so well that's um, a, that's a quote we have for yeah. decade yeah like, <laughs> like, we, like every time we go there it's just like man these these guys just are are just fantastic with everything like and and nothing is like overdone um yeah. everything is just kind of the best version of that thing which i think is like the biggest compliment that that i can give and and uh, in that sort of situation or in, in any sort of restaurant bar, like, like you, you pick a thing and, and it's not a huge menu. You know, they're not like, they're not, they don't have a spirits book. I don't think, uh, and they're not doing things to the scale of, of like many, many bars in town, but, right. but they just do everything so, so well. And everything is, is really carefully curated. I think. Hmm. Do you guys have any events coming up? But we do have a few, uh, kind of things, you know, in, uh, up ahead that we're, we're pretty excited about our five-year anniversary will be this I think technically it's it's late August um, okay. like the last week of August we opened in 2014 so so that's coming up our five-year anniversary that, that'll be really really fun we haven't totally decided what we're what we'll be doing for that quite yet okay we did um, for our four-year anniversary like a, a, a Caribbean prohibition was what what we called it so we, we kind of you know wanted to to do you know a rum focused menu so i think we did kind of like paid homage to all of the different islands that that we we enjoy that produce rum uh so uh that we'll, we'll, do, we'll do something similar i don't know if it'll be like with a partnership with the brand um uh, leopold bros came in when we first started and they they brought us barrels they they uh, gave us barrels from which the bar is constructed mm-hmm. so we we have a relationship with those guys and they they're just you know this again, like a great example of people who are doing things really, really well here in America. Um, they uh, they just have an incredible spirits uh, spirits program and and are really, really honest and transparent and and uh, I think do do great work. So so we may, may do something with them, um, but there's lots of great you know local local products out there as well, from you know Tomstown to Restless Spirits to um, to Boot Hill Distillery in Dodge City. There's lots of great you know, products in Kansas and, and nearby in Kansas City, Missouri that, that we are really proud to to carry and, and be close to. You're so, talking about Negroni Week? Yeah, so uh, Negroni Week is a thing that happens every every June. Um, this year it's later in June than I think it has been in past years, but it's, uh, it's a thing that I think, I, I don't know if it began as a sponsored thing with Campari, but that's that's what it is now is Campari sponsors, you know, this this kind of wide-reaching uh, Negroni Week that, that 
bars from all across the world will we'll participate in. Um, there's there's a, a charity component to it as well. So you know, um, typically I, I think that there's sort of like a world hunger emphasis. So a lot of the the charities that that are involved um, are, are dedicated to kind of that uh, some sort of part of that mission. Uh, but bars will, will um, kind of participate in the Negroni Week. They'll they'll sign up for it, and then you you know align yourself with a specific charity typically um, through through Campari's website. So there's that component of it, and uh, I think some places here in town and, and elsewhere I've seen have have done the spirit of the Negroni Week without you know, but have donated to maybe something more local. Mm-hmm. I think Von Bon went to you know um, uh, last year, the year before, donated their their proceeds from from the week to to Boys and Girls Club of Lawrence, which is a really cool idea as well. So um, yeah, it's just kind of you know a, a cool uh, emphasis on giving back and uh, and you know drinking for a cause, you know, yeah. which yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. To that. yeah exactly. Yeah. I think that uh, we don't really have any specifics, but we're looking into doing some more tastings in the future, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah um, that as well. So you know, um, people all the time will say, you know, you should teach classes, you should have, you know like a specific thing, uh, you know, where, where I can learn more about it and talk one-on-one with, with my bartenders, um, you guys, or, or maybe a, a craft spirits rep, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so, so we've been working with, um, Adam Clary from standard beverage who, um, who is just, I mean, just so knowledgeable and has, has been so, so good to us. And really, I mean, I think I would say like, is one of the biggest reasons why we have the spirits collection that we do now. And, and the, the, um, just the knowledge about craft cocktails that we do. He's really, you know, up the game in Lawrence, I think over the past five years, I think there's probably no person who's more responsible for that than him. Mm-hmm. So um, we're, we've been talking with him about, you know, creating some sort of semi-regular spirits class. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Monarch in Kansas City has had some success with it. Yeah, so. we'll give we'll give Adam a, a little bit of time to do that. I think he's about to have a baby in a week. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's, uh, he's, he's very, very busy at the moment yeah. uh, with with uh, with his new, new family. But yeah. Uh, uh, so we're, yeah, we're really happy for him, but um, yeah, yeah. yeah, excited to do something of that nature. Yeah, we've well, you know, around Lawrence, they've definitely been you know restaurants and stuff that have done that too. You know, do more like a paired dinner or something with uh, different spirits and all that. And I know for sure it is a it is a pretty cool really experience, and I can yeah. definitely tell even just from us talking today, I'm like, yeah, man, there's so much so much deeper you can go on some of this stuff, and it, it really it, that would be that'd be awesome. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, it would be interesting to see how how that kind of thing would be received you know without that component of a paired dinner right because yeah, we've yeah. seen like yeah. like a ton of those uh port fonda when they were when uh, they were there before lark did mm-hmm. did some really cool mezcal dinners mm-hmm. that that i really really enjoyed um but yeah uh i think you know like Mon- one of our good friends brian ari um who was at manifesto with cami right mm-hmm. and um and is now at, at monarch bar in kansas city has has done this uh kind of regular wednesday class where he's you know he's been behind the bar in their in their sort of special parlor room and and has has talked for you know each week about a different class of spirits you know whether it's vermouth or rum or mezcal he's kind of you know gone taking people through a different thing each week and so that would be some sort you know that's a really cool you know thing to see you know how would this work at Lawrence you know yeah. I think I think we uh, we would be the kind of the place to do it just with our setup and our that back room yeah, that we have. Sure. Thanks for talking with us, Logan, Cami. And Dante, thank you so much. Absolutely. For, thank you. Yeah, it was, it was great. So 
everyone, uh, make sure to check out John Brown's Underground. It's located just off of Mass Street. You know, basically look for that uh, black awning and look for that green light under there, and yeah. and go on in, and you're sure to sure to find a great craft cocktail in there. And uh, I think, like you mentioned, yeah, f- follow them on uh, Instagram and Facebook. You won't be disappointed with the pictures and <laughs> all the drinks, and it'll definitely bring you out because <laughs> it's got us a couple times where we're like, well, all right, we got to go try that now. <laughs> that looks really good. Appreciate it deeply. Thank, Thank you, guys you guys so much. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Lawrence Forking, Kansas. We had a great time chatting with Dante Colombo, Cami Michener, and Logan Olin from John Brown's Underground. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, basically anywhere you listen to podcasts. Also, please follow us on social media. We are on Facebook at Lawrence Forking, Kansas, Instagram at Lawrence Forking, Kansas, and Twitter at Lawrence Forking. Feel free to find our pages, subscribe to us, like us, follow us, and leave us a comment. Let us know how we're doing. And if you're a restaurant or food business owner in town and are interested in coming on the show, just reach out on social media or email us at lawrenceforkingkansas at gmail.com and let us know. We are always looking for new people to talk to and would love to have you on. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.